this is Angelo with Danceable Thoughts, and this is our weekly podcast. Hear it tonight, use it tomorrow. Well, good evening, everybody. It's Super Bowl Sunday, so I'm guessing that a lot of people may not be listening this tonight, but you might be listening to it tomorrow. Whenever you're listening to it, I feel like I've got some really relevant information to pass on to you about cleaning and polishing. If you can hear the gravel in my voice, a little bit of sniffling, it's because I spent yesterday judging all day. It was a long day, so I have a pretty gravelly voice. I'm going to share with you some thoughts I have. Um, I actually started generating this list a week or so ago, and it's grown, and uh, I think it's really probably going to benefit because I was doing clinician work with people, and then I saw live action performances, and I'm coming to you fresh with the ideas, fresh in my mind, maybe not fresh in this gravelly voice, but fresh in my mind about cleaning and polishing your dances. I'm going to start with a thought that I'm not sure we've really explored. I guess I just always assumed it was something we all understood but it's probably something you might want to take up as a topic of discussion with your students. Why precision? Why clean and polish dancing, dancing in our genre in dance team world? And I thought about it, and it was just something that was a given, that it was what I grew up with. I grew up in a studio, and I danced company performances. Um, when you grow up in a ballet studio, you understand that as part of the core, uh, you have to look like the other dancers. But nothing is quite as intense as what we expect from our dance team performances. I, I say nothing is as intense, but I think that for a normal student, non-professional dancer, nothing is as intense as what we expect from our dance team performers. Well, you've got to remind yourselves where are our earliest inspirations for dance team. We can think about dance history, jazz history, precision dance history, and we've got a couple of sources to think about. One is, of course, our tradition of Texas dance team, and we have all these amazing things, the stories of the Rangerettes and how they were formed, the things that Kay Crawford did for dance team. But we also have the Rockets, the New York City Rockets. They are a group built on precision. They take us back to the earliest Broadway productions, um, the early movie productions. You think about the spectaculars that we got from the crazy cinematic tricks that they could do and Ziegfeld Follies, that type of thing. So I just did a whole quick um, name drop of important people in history when it comes to precision dance. So that might be an inspiration for some of you to uh, create a project or maybe I'll create a project for you and uh, sell it on Teachers Pay Teachers. But Aside from that history part of it, you have to know that's where it comes from. And now jump all the way to the 21st century and college dance programs are showing us what the extreme version of advanced technique performed at a high level of detailed intricacy and expectation for precision looks like. Pull up all the college dance teams that are winning. What I often experience when I show kids those videos is they say, ooh, that's so cool, but they think it is unattainable. It is your job, it is our job as educators to tell them that they can actually work in their own world for that level of perfection. It takes a different level of commitment 
from them and certainly a different level of awareness of their own body and how they match the others. So I use a phrase now. It's my kinder and gentler way of saying the precision is bad on this routine. So now you're all listening to your talk tapes from me. But I say, I feel like you need to come to consensus about an ensemble approach to the choreography, to the performance elements, to the expressive intent. So it's my nice way of saying, you guys need to get on the same page. From everything from the the arc of the storytelling of the facial expressions and the energy and um, and also into the details of how you want to execute any particular move, any particular section of the choreography. So giving you some important things. What is the benefit? So another reason. What is the why? Beyond how beautiful it creates this nice look, when you have precision in your performance, you can share this with the kiddos, it allows everybody on the floor to be noticed in a best possible light. So we all want to be noticed, but we don't want to be noticed because we're doing the wrong things. We want to be noticed because we're doing the right things. So when you see a full group that everybody's in sync, they're hitting all the turns, their spots are together, they're, they're sharp, they're shaping, their breath, all the things, you get a sense of the achievement of that group is something worthy of your respect. When you can see that all those individuals have come together to create this unified look. The second why of looking at cleaning and polishing and working on those details has to do with safety in the way they execute movements because a lot of times what we see is kids trying to mimic and so therefore they're suffering uh, injuries because they're trying things that they don't actually have the technical foundation to do. So if you will take the time to go back and look at the technical way that movements are executed from the simplest kinds of uh, kicks and splits and turns and leaps to the more complex acro moments. You want to look at how to create those movements with technical accuracy. And then that's going to benefit the, your score in two different ways. So if you're cleaning and polishing for precision and you're also doing that cleaning and polishing with excellent technique, bamo bingo, great scores in both of those categories. Want to think now about the how to polish. I've got lots of tricks for you to, to utilize. Uh, one of the ways that I'm going to structure this conversation is from the feet up to the face. So just follow along with me. Again, my voice is going in and out, so I apologize about that. But I want you to start with the feet. So here are all the things that you can think about with feet. You could talk about the actual foot shapes, when it's flexed, when it's pointed. Uh, hopefully it's not ever purposely sickled, but uh, sometimes you might create some unusual shaping. Uh, the ankle alignment in all things. When you talk about a foot in the dig position, is the ankle circling out, curving out into a letter C? Make sure it's straight. So when I talk about foot shapes and foot closures, what I think you have to help the students understand is what that feels like, the actual alignment of you know their middle two toes to their ankle bone up to the center of their knee, up to the center of their hips. Using that same analogy of aligning the joints of your arms. So thinking from your knuckles to your wrist, to your elbow, to your shoulders, that's the way we're going to talk about cleaning arms. You also need to do that with your feet. So align the joints of your body. If you want to have an anatomy moment, it's from the hinge joint to the rotator cuff. Okay, that was really deep, right? When I started thinking about that, we really understand creating the shapes of our turnout from our hip because we've all been taught that and drilled in our head. You need to do the same thing with your arms. 
rotator cuff from the shoulder out to the elbow, if you'll clean those facings of those arms, it's going to clean up the elbows, it's going to clean up the, the, the wrist alignment. So weird anatomical approach to cleaning, but it goes back to my earlier point about creating um, healthy dancers, creating safe and, and correct technique comes from your expert knowledge in the way the body works. Now, you don't need to teach that to your kids, but if you're working from that, when you're looking at your dancers and you're looking at that from an anatomical point of view, that's pretty interesting, right? So maybe take one segment of a dance this week and look at the anatomical alignment from the middle two toes all the way up to the hip bone when you're looking at leg shapes. From the knuckles, the joints of your uh, fingers to your wrist all the way up to your shoulder. So again, it's a weird thing for me to say to you, but I want you to analyze this from an anatomical point of view an anatomical point of view for cleaning the extreme long lines of the body, which is arms and legs. So going from that foot up to the face's mindset, so I'm wait, I'm looking at feet. One of the things I would encourage you to do is watch one of your um, high energy dances and don't look at their upper bodies, just look at their feet. Look at when they're turning out. Look at when they're parallel. When are they crossing in front? When are they crossing in back? When are they overcrossing, undercrossing, prepping with an inverted foot? So if you were to just imagine that you could block off the, you know, from the hip level up and just watch their feet, legs working, you will get a great sense of what they need to work on. And all of those foundations probably talking about the weight shifting from one side to the other may change the way the upper body looks because of course the upper body is is you know dependent on that base and where it's moving through space base through space i want you to think about when you're looking at the knees and the way that relates the visual representation of how much turnout they're using um, you know, if I could only be paid for every Alicicone turn that I critiqued yesterday, I would make a lot of money. So the first thing I'm going to say every time my leg goes up into second is I'm going to look and see if the knee is to the ceiling. But seeing the knee to the ceiling is the result of rotation from the hip. So there's that concept, again, that anatomical knowledge that helps you see what needs to be corrected. So it's a technique thing, but it also becomes a precision thing. Because whatever the hips do, they may lift, they may twist, they may turn. Lots of kids like to do these tilt batmas now. And when they get into that tilt batma, they put their weight in different places. They put their hips in different alignment. So going back to looking through those hip alignment issues, it's going to give you a new perspective on whether a dance is clean or not. You may not like what you discover, but it's worth you seeing it and you working to create a different set of muscle memory for your students so that that technique score, like I said, goes up just as well as the precision score because it's a lot about uh, where their weight is in a lunge, in a plie, when they're going from one lunge to the other. So look at that. Uh, talking about that whole rotator cuff thing, once again, I love to clean dances. Um, if I have to quickly help someone, I'm in a clinician setting and I need to quickly clean something, I know that most people's first instinct is to clean the big shapes, the extremities, the arms and the legs. But what I will do is I will look at the rectangle of the shoulders and hip, that torso region, and I will watch a dance. So just like I said, look at just the legs. I will watch a dance just looking at shoulder and hip facings. 
especially when I have big groups out there. It's also very useful and helpful in, I'm going to call our more artistic styles, genres, lyrical, contemporary, modern, definitely even with jazz because of the isolations involved in jazz. So you look at the shoulder hip rectangle. When is it on the 45? When should it be fully in profile? When is it flat front? And when is it flat back? A lot of our choreography has some version of pivots in it, whether it's the most traditional high kick, palm, prop to a stylized jazz. We've got pivot actions. Are the are the performers pivoting at the same time? Are they cleanly making the rotation from front to back? When you think about that uh, rectangle, it, it creates the base for those extremities to go out, and then you start working on that. When I work with groups, I teach young student leaders, I teach them to look for the absolute. So it's a simpler way to clean. It's something your student leaders can do for you. I talk to them first about looking for what I call all the flat lines. I tell them the floor is flat. It's a visual, giant visual across the room. So every time the arms go out into second, I'm going to see does the flatness of the arm, lo- arm line match the flatness of the floor. So they've got one arm out, they've got both arms out, they've got an elbow bent. I'm looking at flatness and matching it because our brains, as audience members, look to see if that giant flat line of the floor and the dancer's flat lines are matching. That also extends into any time the legs are coming off the floor. So the dreaded Alessacone turn sequence. Think about it in a grangete. Think about it in many of the second position jumps that they are doing. Uh, whatever you like to call them, to- the old school toe touch or Russians, those kinds of things. Creating flat lines, looking for the absolutes. I often use math terminology. The other thing I tell people is to think about the geometry of all the right angles. So the first thing everyone thinks about is right angle elbows. Again, aligning from the knuckles to the wrist, to the elbow, to the shoulder, creating those right angles. But you also have right angles in deep second position plie. You have right angles in lunges. You have right angles even even sometimes in our modern and contemporary when we bring a passe up that is not connected, we might utilize that with a flex foot or pointing foot. You're all visualizing it now. Looking at the geometry of that. Well, then you close that foot into passe, whether you turn out in second or that passe is to the front. We've also created a 90-degree angle from our knee to our hip up into our torso. So geometry is your friend, no matter what your personal experience was in high school. Geometry is your friend. My other geometric comment is parallel arms up. We're missing the parallel or we're breaking the parallel because our hand shape is different. They don't realize in the tension that they create to dance strong for you that sometimes they have gestural habits with their hands, you know, the wild finger, the twisted wrist. So parallel lines have to be complete, and you need to look at what their hands are doing, especially in moments of tension, if they're breaking up the parallel line. Uh, Lots of places that you will see parallel lines in all across all genres. Same with the parallel lines are the shapes of V's, V's up and V's down. I am going to say without a doubt, without even seeing your dances, tell every one of your dances, dancers to tighten their V down. Bring it in a little closer to their body. Pull it in a little closer. So I tell them to squeeze their armpits and it in- increases the tension in all the muscles all the way down through the arms and it tightens that V shape and it keeps it looking more complementary 
to the other shapes you're often doing, which is usually a T flat and then a V up. I also feel like the V's up have gotten too wide. I think it has to do with new palm style where we're working with our pectorals. The V is slightly in front of our bodies instead of down our, you know, our side seam or our coronal plane, but the V's are getting too wide. So I would tell you just as an experiment to look at asking your dancers to run it with an exaggerated tightness in the V's up and the V's down and see if you like what you see. You might, uh, you might really enjoy the contrast that, that that creates for them and you might enjoy the tension that it brings to their posture and alignment. Last thing on talking about absolutes. When are the uh, arms aligned with the imaginary side seams? In the old days, you know, we'd be wearing a leotard and, and tights or a leotard and jazz pants. You want to think about where the side seams of your leotard would be and where the side seams of your pants would be and where your arms are in relationship to it. Closing them in. Does uh, I have said a lot to people when they, they have their dancers close their arms down to the side that their arms drift around to the front of their thighs. Ask them to pull those around to their side seams and you will see a lot of differences. Oh, I almost forgot. V's reminds me also of diamond shapes. We use diamond shapes in a lot of choreography and we don't know whether the diamond should be three-dimensional in fact that it's a little forward of your body or if it's totally flat above the top of your head. So ballet class for just a moment. When I was in ballet class for all those years, the way I was taught to do fifth on O or high fifth is that your arms are this beautiful picture frame over your face, but you should be able to lift your eyes and see your fingertips. So it would be a little bit in front of your body. It would not be over the top of the back of your head. That would almost be called hyperextending. So using that ballet technique, some of us like to do our change that beautiful oval into a diamond. So it would be there. I know a lot of people bring that, the fist where the fist connect at diamond up or the palms connect at a diamond up to their bangs or their hairline. Now, when you get the connecting points of the diamond, then you talk to them about how open they need to pull the, the elbows back. Really, cleaning and polishing, there's so much to it. Back to the why, creating visuals, also thinking about where you want arms to move through space. When we talk about arms, we go back to, I mentioned our ballet class moment. Let's talk about shoulders being, in my world, we learned that ballet dancers dance with shoulders that are low, open, and back. Low meaning we make a long, beautiful neckline. Open. Think about you have a beautiful diamond necklace on. You open it up so everyone can see that beautiful diamond ne necklace that's resting on your sternum. That's also a modern class image. This is something that I think registers two places on your score sheet as well. Certainly precision, but it also really resonates in their projection score. So whatever the score, whatever your score sheet says about performance quality, overall impression, showmanship, projection. When the shoulders are low, open, and back, you're going to get a more confident-looking dancer. You're going to get a dancer with better body language that they're coming out into the floor ready to perform. It just it gives it a different vibe. Whether you're doing something really intense and aggressive or something lovely and lyrical, low, open, and back with the shoulders is very important. Physical, anatomically speaking, low, open, and back has to mean that you engage your uh, your shoulder muscles, your shoulder blades, uh, your traps, lats, all, all the way down through there. Again, anatomy, anatomy, anatomy. But thinking about pulling those shoulders low, open, and back 
also means that when you are your dancers are facing the back, they have a lovely, elegant look. I feel like a lot of times our dancers think I'm, uh, think to themselves, I'm facing the back and I can let my posture down. Absolutely backwards mindset. When you are facing the back, your posture should be radiating energy towards your audience. Just because your face isn't looking at them, your body should be radiating confidence and prep preparedness, readiness, excitement, energy. So it's a tip for your students, a cleaning and polishing thing that is also a technique thing and definitely registers in a positive way on the showmanship performance. Long necks are a great way to uh, talk about what our students are missing in the way they use your, their heads in their choreography. They, I'm going to say, suggest where their chin should go, and they've got to exclaim, make an exclamation. Is it to the 45, or is it totally profile? What they do is they use their eyes and not their chin and nose. With their moody, um, self-indulgent experiences of contemporary dance, Yes, I'm doing it with funny voices for a reason. They are doing a lot of choreography with their chin tucked into their chest. Please remind them that it has to be a choice, not just something that they're doing because they don't want to lift their eyes up and look up at the judges. So creating shapes with their head. Is it turned or is it tilted? That's a very important thing. Is it tucked in a flat back or is it elongated? I hope that you will in, uh, utilize these cleaning tips, not every day. My suggestion is pick a topic from here and pick one for each day or one for each dance that you'd like to focus on. Share your idea with your student leaders, whoever helps you with the cleaning and polishing, so you guys are all on the, on the same page. I'm really eager to hear from you and find out what topics in this cleaning and polishing works best for you because it's great to hear the real world experiences of how cleaning and polishing tricks help you because I can say it all day long but until you hear from your friends who are out there I'm gonna call it on the front lines preparing for these uh, adjudicated performances it doesn't matter it doesn't resonate until you believe that it's going to work so I hope that you will interact with us uh, on the Facebook page. We'll probably try to have a chat midweek. I promised you last week we were going to do a midweek, and some of you know that I had a situation occur that I couldn't do our midweek conversation, but we will work really hard to make sure that happens this week. By the way, to all of my thinking dancers, you are my valentines. I hope that Tuesday is an excellent day for you and the people that um, you want to shower with love and affection. I hope the things I have told you are useful to you. You're going to think it through. Your dancers are going to dance it out and we're going to have another great week of contest season. Thanks for listening. This has been Angelo with Danceable Thoughts.